All right. I know Maria said it like ten times, but I think the band did a great job. You know, and um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Mark. Um, I am the worship pastor here, so when I say the band did a good job, a lot of people sometimes say, hey, Mark, you know, aren't you, like, worried, you know, job security, you know, didn't these guys do a good job without you? And actually, nothing makes me happier than when I'm not leading worship or when I'm not here to hear that worship was great. So, um... One of the people that I'm really proud of is Chris. I've actually known Chris since he was like four or three years old. And um, it's been great to see him grow up to be a young man that worships God and and is playing guitar. I think he's like 18 years old or something like that, 19. And um, it's just great that he's up here with the big boys and and he's worshiping God. So, Chris, wherever you are. um, And, yeah, some of you are saying you're the worship leader, but you weren't even here last week either. And um, the reason I wasn't here last week, if that's what you're thinking, um, is because I was celebrating six years of marriage, so I think I earned a... Yeah. And um, I've been married to my wife, Leilani, happily married for six years, and actually, it feels like yesterday. I, I can't believe, I, and I told her this, I'm like, honey, I can't believe it's been six years, because I could remember the day, to, like, if it was right now, and I, if I was an artist, I could draw it for you. Um, seeing her walking down the aisle in that beautiful white dress, and I was up there with my pastor and, and my best man, and just seeing her floating down the aisle, and every time I tell her the story, she's like, but I tripped, honey, I tripped. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but, um, but, but to me, you look like an angel floating, and, and she, she you know, always gets a laugh out of that when I'm retelling her my version of the wedding. And, um, but yeah, you know, since it was six years, I, I, was, I was saying to myself, I got to go all out this year, take her to the best restaurant that I can take her to. So I, I went online and I looked and I talked to friends and I took her to, to an amazing place. You know, and I don't, it's so good. I don't even think any of you have ever been there because it's kind of pricey. It's, I brought a picture. Um, Chili's? <laughs> no, she, she wouldn't have been too happy if that's where I took her. Actually, I took her to the Rusty Pelican in Kibis Game. Um, Super, super nice place. There's a picture of me and her. Right, Pedro? Yep, there it is. Actually, um, the picture we took at the Rusty Pelican wasn't that nice. That's, that's a picture at the Chart House like the day before. But um, it was like a, ni- a weekend of nice restaurants. And, uh, so, but this is the view from the Rusty Pelican. What a beautiful view, right, from that mirror, um, that window. Beautiful window. I mean, super, super romantic. Guys, if you've never taken your wife or your girlfriend there, Take them there. It's great at night. It's even better. Call ahead. That's what I did. And I reserved the best table in the house. And, and I got it. That, that's the view from where I was sitting. And while we were there, we talked so much. And we shared great food. I had a filet uh, with lobster tail. You know, I, it was my anniversary. So I figured I'd treat myself too. And, uh, and so, but, but the best part about the whole night was the conversation we had. And I told her how much I loved her. I told her how these have been the best years of my life are the years that I've spent with you, honey. And I've actually, I've been married six years, but we dated for eight years. And so that's what, 14 years we've been together. And and I'm like, babe, I know everything there is to know about you. So this is towards the end of the conversation. And she's like, really? She's like, I don't even know everything there is to know about me. And so, you know, I told her a couple of things I knew about her that she didn't know and a couple of things I liked and didn't like and... And, um, and then I said, honey, you know, you know everything there is to know about me too. And, and I think it's about time we kind of mix things up a little bit. She's like, okay, you know, I'm up for that. And I'm like, this is what I, what I, what I want to do, you know. And some of you are going to be a little shocked by this, but this is what I told her. I'm like, hey, babe, you know, 
since I know everything there is to know about you, I think I, I need to start hanging out with other women. And just nothing sexual, nothing like that. But I, I need to hang out with other women and get to know them a little bit better. Get to know what they have to offer and type of conversations and maybe go out to dinner, go catch a movie and stuff like that. And, and you could just imagine what she said, right? She's like, sure. You know, if it's going to make you happy, you know, if, if this is really going to make you a better husband, go for it. Who believes that story? Actually, right up to that part, everything is true. But, but, um, the last part, no way, no way. If she would even know I was thinking about this. See, actually, when I told her I was going to say this, she got a little mad. Okay. If she even knew I was thinking about asking her this, she'd kill me. And some of you were thinking like, man, I hope he didn't say that. There's like, no way. And the truth is this, taking God completely out of the equation, taking Christianity completely out of the equation, taking the fact that I'm a pastor out of the picture in the world without Jesus this is unacceptable. People that don't know anything about God know that a, that a marriage and a, a good relationship would not function this way if people are not loyal to one another, if people are not honest with each other. If a husband and a wife only have each other in the relationship when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to spending time together continuously, and some of the men are thinking, man, you know what? What about if your wife got home and said this? said, hey, babe, you know, I met this guy at the gym today. We get along so good, you know. Man, we spend so much time. We have lunch. Honey, he takes care of me. He spots me, you know. We have such a good time together that sometimes we just skip the gym and we just go for long walks and bike rides and hang out at the beach and get some rays. You guys are thinking, heck no, there is no way that I, I mean, no, no man in this room, no husband, no boyfriend in this room would stand for that. But how come, when it comes to our relationship with God, we allow so many things to get in the way? How come when it comes to the time we spend with God, or on Sunday morning, we feel like it's okay to put other things before God? You know, we lost an hour, we see there's empty seats. How many people say they love God and allow one hour to get in the way of time with God? How can we think it's okay not to fully obey everything that God asks from us? And you know what? That's exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're in this series that's called, It's the End of the World as We Know It, where we're taking an in-depth look at the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and, and we're like, God, we want to know everything there is to know about this book. We want to know everything there is to know about you and today. We're going to be taking an in-depth look at the church in Pergamos. And like we've learned in the past couple of weeks, just from looking at the name, we can pretty much figure out what's going on in this church. And if you'd pull your outlines out, we look at the word Pergamos in Greek, and it's actually a compound word. In the first part, per, means to object, just like the words pervert and perjure. Okay, that per there means to object. And the second Part of this compound word is gamos, which means marriage. So the word pergamos, the name of this town, means objectionable marriage or outside of marriage, which is the perfect name for the place that we're going to be talking about, for the church in the place that we're talking about. And, and let's read, let's start off by reading today's text in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 12. It's up on the screens. It's actually in your outline it says this, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, 
These things, says he, circle that he, that's Jesus, is saying this. Who has a sharp two-edged sword. <clears throat> sharp two-edged sword. What is that? Let me tell you what the sharp two-edged sword is. It's, it's a sword with two edges. But the Bible actually says in the book of Hebrews that the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. And, and why two edges? Why is the word of God a double-edged sword? It's because the word of God has two functions. One edge is an instrument of salvation. See, Jesus came to cut us away from the sinful world that we live in, from the sinful lifestyle that we were living. So one part of God's word separates us from sin, saves us, and the other part is an instrument of judgment. One edge separates man from sin, and the other edge has the power to separate man from God. For all eternity. Wow. So the same word that, that brings us salvation is the same word that actually has the power to separate us from God. And here's Jesus talking to the church of Pergamos. And he's saying, I'm coming to you and I'm talking to you as the one with a two-edged sword. And we continue reading. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name. And did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Jesus is saying here, hey, you're a church. I know you and I love you. And I see that in the middle of a messed up society, in the middle of a messed up world, you are standing firm. And then he continues to say, but I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak. To put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Here we see Jesus writing a letter to a group of people that he loves. And he starts off by saying, man, you guys have remained faithful in the middle of messed up people. And man, Pergamus was so bad. This place was so full of sin that two times Jesus says, you are living in the place where Satan dwells. And I know that sometimes you hear people say, well, the devil made me do it. You know, maybe some of your kids, you know, they behave bad. They broke something. They punched their little brother or their sister. And they say, dad, it wasn't me. The devil made me do it. Or sometimes even worse, we hear serial killers and mass murderers say, the devil made me do it. But you know what? We need to realize that God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. But the devil is not. He could only be in one place at one time. So when we're tempted, it's probably not Satan, it's, it's one of his demons. So Jesus is telling this church, you are living in the place where Satan dwells. And, and you guys are like, but I thought Satan lived in hell. I've sent many people there when I get mad at them, you know? No, uh, Satan's actually never been to hell. The Bible teaches us that he is the ruler of this world. First John 5.19 says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And at the time that this letter was written, Satan was hanging out in Pergamos. And Jesus says, some of you are standing firm, but there's a group of you that are following the doctrine of Balaam. Who's Balaam? And who's Balak? It kind of sounds like the same name. Balaam was a prophet for hire. He told people stuff. Whoever had the most money, he prophesied to them. You know, kind of like Miss Cleo. You know, call me now. You know, give me your credit card number and, 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 and I'll tell you something about yourself. Or, or for those of you that, who's Miss Cleo? You'll know exactly, like, what the mercado, you know? Las estrellas, you know? 
and, and you pay these people money and, and they tell you what you need to know or, or what they think or supposedly what God's telling them. And, and please get rid of what the, before. Balak, the king of the Moabites, hated the Jews, hated God's people. You know, they're growing, they're becoming strong. He's fearing for his kingdom. So he calls 1-800-Balaam. Okay, or probably not, but he, he gets a hold of Balaam and he says, Hey, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of sheep because, you know, that was the commodity at the time. And, and I want you to curse Israel. And Balaam comes back to him and says, Hey, there's no way that I can curse the people of God. There's no way that I can curse the children of Israel. But you know what? Every crook has his price. And eventually, Balak made him an offer he could not refuse. And three times, Balaam attempted to curse the children of God, and God stopped him. I love this part of the story. Balaam is on his way to go meet with the kings of the, of the Moabite people, go on his way to meet with Balak. Balaam's on his donkey, and he's riding his donkey, and, and his donkey stops and doesn't want to move anymore. And he begins to beat his donkey up. You know, come on, let's go. And he begins to ride that donkey again. And uh, he's in this like real narrow, narrow like a uh, strip of road or whatever. And, and the, the donkey begins to crush his foot against the wall and stop. And then, once again, he beats this donkey up. And, and one more time, the, the donkey stops after that. And he begins to beat the donkey. And God actually lets the donkey talk, just like Shrek. Okay, but this is for real. And the donkey tells him, Hey, why are you hitting me? Haven't I been a good donkey? Haven't I let you ride me? Haven't I let, you know, taken you where you wanted to go? Haven't I been a good, a good donkey? You know? And, and, you know, one part of it was a she, because the Bible says she. Um, so, a she donkey. And, uh, not that that means anything, but. And, um, the donkey says, you know, every time I stopped was because the angel of the Lord was standing in front of me. And so, um, Balaam, at that moment, the, the Bible tells us that he sees the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord tells him, you know, if your stupid donkey that you were beating up wouldn't have stopped those three times, I would have killed you. So we see God had mercy on Balaam. God, God tried to spare Balaam. God actually spoke to Balaam, like he speaks to us sometimes, but Balaam was so corrupt, and he wanted the property and, and the wealth and the livestock that was being offered to him that he told the king of the Moabites, there is no way that I physically can curse the people of God. But I'm going to tell you what you can do to get the people of God, for God to turn his, his face from his people, for, for God to get angry with his people and curse his people. And so this is what he tells them. Get your women. You know, dress them up real nice and sassy, you know. Send them into the camps and have them seduce the men. And the men will have sexual relations with these women. Commit sexual immorality and begin to worship the false gods and the false idols. And you'll see that God will get angry at his people. And this is the same thing that was happening in Pergamos. Pergamos was an important center of worship for four of the main deities of the Greco-Roman world. There was temples there for Zeus and Athena, Asclepius and Dionysus. But even bigger than that, Pergamum was one of the first places where the worship of the emperor, the emperor cult began. And what this is, is that the rulers, the people would worship the ruler. So he was no longer the king. Now he was their God. And we learn that in certain parts of the area, there was like festivals and special days, like President's Day and stuff like that, where they would worship the emperor. 
But here in Pergamos, every single day was emperor day. Every single day, people were forced to worship the emperor, to make sacrifices to the emperor, to do crazy things. And these Greco-Romans, man, these people were very pagan and, and committed all types of sexual immorality in their worship. You know, there was all these kinds of sexual craziness going on, men with men, women with women, a bunch of people at the same time, blood, sacrificing, nasty stuff. Okay? So now you guys are thinking, man, that's disgusting. How could they even be involved in that? But, but the Bible teaches us that at the same time, there was people that were living for God in Pergamos. There were other people. They weren't denying him completely, you know, just like a lot of times we don't. We say we're Christians. But they began to flirt with the world. They began to worship these false gods. They got caught up in the emperor worship. You know, it's, it's believed that Antipas, the martyr, loses his life because he refused to worship the emperor. And these Christians began to practice all kinds of immorality. And as I look at the church today, I look at Pergamos and I look at the church in America and the world, I look at Christians, I can't help but think, man, that looks a lot like us today. And man, and Pergamos was a messed up place and maybe pagan worship isn't as popular as it was back then and there's nobody cutting stuff up and, you know, having these crazy parties and stuff, even though they are crazy parties, but... Even though that's not as popular as it was back then, not as common as it was, there's so many people that are beginning to flirt with the world. So many people that decide to follow God and, and fall astray. And man, and I know that these times are crazy. I actually did a search, a Google search on Friday when I was working on my message, and I said, give me the headlines of Miami. What are the bad things that are happening in Miami? Check out what I found just this Friday, the 6th. Check out, student charged with first-degree murder in Dillard High School slain. A man and a woman accused of opening fire on a small group of people in Fort Lauderdale. Miramar Middle School student arrested after taking a knife to school. Davy Teen hit by a car in critical condition. Man shot near his home in Sweetwater. Fire destroys two homestead apartments. Man shot to death in a Davy apartment. Hundreds mourn the Amador family killed in a murder-suicide. This was a father that was having, you know, sexual relations with his little daughters and stuff, and the daughters were putting stuff on MySpace, and people were starting to find out, and, and stuff like that. And this guy kills his family. Two of his kids escape. Kills his wife, and kills himself. This is like a week ago, or something like that. And, 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 and on Friday, people were mourning their death. These are the headlines of this week. But there's so much more happening today all over the world wars and famines and all this craziness that proves to me the fact that we're stating here in the series that we're doing through the book of revelation that the end is near that it is the end of the world as we know it and at the very and the very same thing that, that jesus is telling the church at pergamos he's telling us today you can't say that you love me and still keep living like the world lives. You can't say that you're a Christian, come to church on Sunday, and during the week do whatever you want and act just like people that aren't Christians. I'll tell you a little story about me. When I was a kid, try not to laugh, but I didn't like taking a bath. Thank you. Thank you, Doris. I could always count on your laugh. It's kind of like a dolphin, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't like taking a bath. And, uh, and this is why, man, I, I loved water. I loved pools. I loved the beach. Sometimes I tell my mom, mom, but I was in the pool all day. See, pero tiene que bañarte. You know? And, um, 
And I, I like slip and slides. It has water. I liked water guns. I like lemonade. There's water in that. I liked everything that had to do with water, but I hated taking a bath. And here's the reason why. When I, when I was a kid, when I was young, my grandma was, was scrubbing the tub like a good old Cuban woman on her knees with a trapo on her head. You know, and there's all this soap and, and dirt and hair from I don't know where going down the drain. And, and I'm looking at all this happening. And I'm thinking, if all that stuff is going down the drain, and pelo de abuelo and all this stuff going down the drain, I could go down the drain too, you know? And so I was terrified of the bathtub. And so my mom would go, Maquito, bañate. And I would say, okay, mom. And, and I would go into the bathroom, lock the door, turn on the shower, and just hang out in the bathroom, you know? Ten minutes, 15 minutes. And then, you know, I'm like, it's about time. Or one of my sisters would knock, and I'm like, I'm coming out, you know, I'm taking a bath. Y me tiraba un poquito de agua, put a little bit of water on my face, wet myself a little bit, get a towel, you know, and pretend I didn't dry myself good, and, and I walk out. You know, and as disgusting as that sounds, there's a lot of us that are living our life exactly like that. And you're like, ew, gross. You know, you're looking at the person next to you. I knew he didn't take a bath. But no, seriously, some of you are like, ooh, but you know what? I was six years old. How old are you? 16, 26, 36, 46. See, we treat Sunday morning like our weekly bath. We do whatever it takes to, like, you know, pretend that we're living a life that honors God, but we're not. And then to make things better, we, we throw, we splash on a, a prayer for good luck. And we live our life however we want. You know what God has to say about that? You know what God is telling you and me this morning? If this is the way you're living your life, this is the way you want to live, he's saying, you're my enemy. Man. God is saying, you are cheating on me. James 4.4 4 says this, you're cheating on God if all you want is your own way. Flirting with the world every chance you get you end up enemies of God and his way. And I love this part. And you suppose God doesn't care? You live your life however you want, and you suppose God doesn't care. I meet people like this all the time, and it breaks my heart. People call me up on the phone. People send me emails. People come to the office for counseling, tell me all their problems. And I'm, I'm trying to, to figure out how I can help them. And, and I say, man, I haven't seen you in church lately. Um, you know, there's this area of your life, this area of your life. You need to adjust that. And, and they look at me like I'm some alien from outer space. And, and they're like, but, but Pastor Mark, um, God knows me. God knows my heart. God knows my intentions. He knows I'm a good person. So you suppose God doesn't care. You think God doesn't care that you come to church on Sunday and then you go out clubbing and you're going crazy and you're getting drunk and you're doing all these terrible things. You think God doesn't care that, man, you're always fighting with your wife and, and fighting with your kids. You think God doesn't care that, man, you're always lying. You're always trying to cover something up. You think God doesn't care that you're cheating on your wife, you're sleeping around, or, or maybe you're sleeping with your boyfriend or, or your girlfriend. You think God does not care that people are stealing. You think God doesn't care when everyone goes to bed at home. You know, you're like, God, you know, I, my wife's asleep, so you're asleep, you know. 
And you go on the computer and, and you look at things that you shouldn't look at. People addicted to pornography. You think God does not care because no one can see you. Because no one knows what's going on. You think God does not care. You know what? God cares so much for you. That he didn't only write this letter to the church at Pergamos. He wrote this letter for you. He wrote this letter for me. He wrote this letter for us. God cares so much that he continued saying in James 4, God is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you can find. I love that picture of God as a fiercely jealous lover. Think about it when I said what I was going to tell my wife, that I wanted to start spending time with other women and stuff, and some of the women in the room are like, that's crazy, that's unacceptable, there's no way. And you're a human being, flesh and blood, a sinner, and you think like that. Some of the men, when I said, hey, what if your wife told you she met someone at the gym, and he's a real nice guy, and he spots her, and sometimes they skip the gym and go to lunch, they're, they're not having sex or anything. And you're thinking, no way I would not let my woman do that, that's disrespectful. And you're a man, you're a sinful man. And you feel that way. Imagine God. He says, I'm a fiercely jealous lover. He loves you. Can you imagine how he feels when we cheat on him? Man, God loved us so much that he gave it all for you and for me. And yet so many times we decide to live life however we want. And I love the second part of the verse where it says, and what he gives in love is far better than anything else you can find. What he gives in love is better than anything. It's better than that experience that you had the other day. It's better than the way that you feel when you show everyone in the house that you're a papi de la casa, a macho. You know, you scream, you yell, you tell people that they're worthless and, and you get that power, that injection of, 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 you know, Latinism in your blood. And yeah, you know, God's love is better than that. God's love is better than any lie. God's love is better than anything that this world can offer you, than the house that you live in, than the car, than the boats. God's love is better than anything else. And you guys are thinking, man, how can I start living a life that honors God? How can I start living a life that I no longer cheat on God? That I no longer let other things get in the way of my relationship with God? And, and Jesus tells us right there in Revelation 2.16, he says, repent. Yeah, it's as easy as that. Repent, it's that simple. I know some of you were thinking, man, how many our fathers and Hail Marys does it take to repent? You know, what can I do to repent? What, is, what, what can I do physically to repent? And, and, and you know what? To truly understand the meaning of, of the word repent, and it's the key to our relationship with God, is to understand what Jesus really meant when he said that. And if we got to go back to the original language, go back to the Greek, and he uses this word for repent that's called metanoe. Metanoe. And if we could grasp the, def the definition of that word, our lives would change completely. Because to truly stop cheating on God, we need to change our mind. We need to change our mind. The Bible says this, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Maybe asking, why is it important? 
Why is it so important for me to change my mind if no one can really read my mind? No one sees what's going on in there. You know, if I don't do it, then it's not really a sin. Why is it so important for me to change my mind? And James answers that temptation comes from our own desires. Temptation comes from up here. Think about every time you fell. Think about every time you've committed some type of sin or or you've compromised your walk with God. It started right here. You know, you saw some hot woman walking by, you're like, man, she looks good. You know, or some guy pumping iron, and you're like, man, he's so hot. You know? Or it's like, man, if I could just get everyone to leave for an hour, I could be alone in the house and do what I do. Every single time we've fallen away, man, most of the, you know, it's like, it's, it's right here. It's right here. And it says that these desires entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. We see that we, we desire it, we think about it, and then from that desire comes sin. And then it says when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. See, these thoughts that we have will eventually kill us. They will kill our relationship with God. They will kill every single thing in our life. Look at the people around you. Maybe look at your own life. Why are these things going bad? Why, why is this happening? And you could trace it back to, to a sinful decision that you made that started off with a thought, man, I want that. How can I get that? I'll do this to get that. And then you do it. You get it. And then things begin to die. See, the first part of the definition of metanoia is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior, we got to change our mind, and we need to change our behavior. We need to change the way that we act. It's not just saying I'm a Christian; it's now living like a Christian lives. First John two fifteen says, "Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done, comes not from the Father, but from the world." The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God will live forever. We see that sin brings death. And doing the will of God brings life. And not just temporary life. Life forever and ever. I love the promise that Jesus gives us at the end of our scripture today. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. What is, what is manna? See, manna is what God used to feed the children of Israel when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. In the desert, wandering, lost, nomads. And every morning there was manna on the ground. And God provided for them physically. So God's not only giving us eternal life. God's saying, I'm going to provide for you here. See, we're living in some uncertain times We're living in times where people are losing their job. People are are getting their wages cut. We're living in times where people are losing their homes. Foreclosure is is at its all-time high. And God is saying, in the midst of that, in the middle of that, I will give you the hidden manna. I will provide for you if you repent. If you have an ear and you listen, if you change the way that you live, I will provide for you here on earth. And then he continues to say, and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. God's saying, I'm giving you sustenance here on earth. I'm going to take care of you here on earth. But you know what? 
I'm going to give you eternal life forever with me. Man, that's awesome. And I love the whole thing with the stone and, and the name on the stone. And he's like, if we look at the scripture, we see that every time that God gave someone a name, that, that um, God changed Peter's name. Peter's name was like wishy-washy, you know, soft sand, soft foundation. He said, I, your name is rock. Your name is solid foundation. We see Jesus, God, changing the name of Jacob to Israel. Jacob was a scoundrel, and then he named him Israel. And he's saying, if you repent, I'm going to give you a name, a new name that only you know. I'm going to save you. And you see, in the very same way that my relationship with my wife would go totally down the drain like all the soap and dirt and hair in my grandma's tub when she cleans it, if I live my life the way that I said, I, I, I told her I, I wanted to start living, it's the same way with our relationship with God. See, there's a lot of people that repent, change their mind, change their behavior, man. They start doing this, they start doing that, but then... You know, they start letting other things, you know, back into their life or they get kind of lazy in their walk with God. And we need to make sure it's the third thing how we can stop cheating on God is that we spend quality time with God every single day. And you guys are like, man, is that like those like real religious people here at the church that that read like an hour every day of the Bible and stuff? And no, you know, that, that's great. And, and I hope that one day you get there. But sometimes you're not going to get there right from the beginning. You need to start spending time with God. For some of you, that quality time is the drive to work in the morning. Man, put on some Christian music. Worship God in your car instead of trying to fight with all of Miami as you drive to work. You know, put on, you know, the, an audio Bible or a message. Man, there's so, much, so many resources. It's so easy sometimes, you know, to, to really spend time with God. But we rather just, you know... Listen to Basilong or whatever it is on, on the radio or Paul and Ron or something or, or the people do the, the calls and they trick people on the phone and stuff. You know, we'd rather laugh at, at the craziness that's going on in the world than spend time with God. You know what I do sometimes? I have two boys and, and every once in a while I'll have to spend an hour or two with them and, and, you know, they're driving me nuts and in the middle of that chaos, you know, it's like I need to spend time with God because, I, I don't know, I'm going to do something bad or, you know, or just... Lock them up in the room and go to sleep or something. And so what I do is I get my iPhone and I, I listen. I have an audio Bible and, and I listen to the audio Bible. Man, and that's my time with God that day. So for you guys, man, figure out what it is that you can do to spend quality time with God every day. And, and here's why I think it's so important. Philippians 2.12 says, keep on working to complete your salvation with fear and trembling. God's saying, hey, that prayer, that little box you checked off on your connection card, that's Amazing. That's awesome. But you've got to protect your salvation with fear and trembling. That means you need to spend time with God. You need to spend time with God. So important. And in just a couple of minutes, we're actually going to have an amazing time of intimate fellowship with God. You can see there's communion trays on the sides of, of the room and in the back of the room. And what I want to do right now, is I want you guys to think of the sacrifice that Jesus made, that jealous lover of your soul. And how he gave it all for you. How he laid it all down for you. I want you to, to picture that as we spend time with God in communion. See, sometimes I feel that, that we take so much for granted. 
You know, we take worship for granted. You know, we're like, man, that drummer's really good, and oh, the lights are cool, and, and oh, ah, you know, or sometimes we don't even sing or clap. Sometimes I leave here, and I see so many of the outlines on the floor. And it doesn't bother me that we're throwing stuff away or anything like that. It just, it hurts me because I know we take so much for granted, especially here in this country where we have so much. And I just pray that this morning will be a monument in your life. A day that you could look back at, March 8th, 2009, I decided to not take God for granted anymore. March 8th, 2009, I decided to turn my life around and stop compromising and stop cheating on God and stop letting other things get in the way of my relationship with God. And, and so when we break the bread and, and we drink the wine, that, that we would say, God, thank you for your body. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you love me so much, so much more than I can ever love you. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. See, I believe if we could keep that image, if we could keep communion, because that's what it is. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, remember me. And he's not saying that because he wants you to think about him all the time so that he feels good. He's saying that because if you remember me, if you remember what I did for you, it will be so much easier for you to live a life. That honors God. And it's not just about the honor that's given to God and that God's receiving all this honor. He's up there, yeah, honor, 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 honor. But the truth is this. If we obey God's word, the same way if we're faithful to our husband or our wife or our fiance or whatever, we'll have a good relationship. We'll have happiness and joy. God's saying, I want you to be happy. I want you to be the happiest people in the world. But this can only happen if you live lives that honor God. This could only happen if, if you obey the word of God, that double-edged sword. We keep that in mind, man. He loved me so much. He separated me from sin. But the same sword can also separate me from God for all eternity. We're going to sing a song that's called Where the Love Lasts Forever. And I, I, I love this song. And first time I heard it, I, I'm like, man, I've been there. It says, your mercy found me upon a broken road and lifted me beyond my failing. Into your glory, my sin and my shame dissolve. It goes away, it falls apart. And now forever yours, I stand. And there's another part of the song that says, And I throw myself upon all that you are, because I know you gave it all for me. When all else fails, my soul will dance with you where the love lasts forever. I mean, and when I say forever, I mean God's love lasts forever and ever and ever. You know, and the same way that I said that, that the things of this world pass away, these things that pull you away from God pass away, you know, that sin, that pornography, that cheating relationship that you're in, that falls away and that goes away and that withers and that house withers and, and that car withers and your money will, will wither. You know what else withers? That trial that you're going through right now will go away. That doubt and that suffering that maybe you're going through right now, that pain that you're going through right now will go away. But God will last forever. Man, I don't know about you. I know so many people lost all their fortune on the stock market. 
Lost so much money buying homes and homes and homes and homes and now they're broke. They don't have credit. You know, who wants to go invest in a neighborhood now and buy 10 houses? Nobody. And God's saying, my love lasts forever and ever and ever. And I don't know about you, but that's where I want to put my heart and my soul and my aspirations and my mind and everything that I have. I'm like, God, here, when all else fails, my soul will dance with you where the love lasts forever. So what I think we should do right now is, is, is really have a change of heart. Is grab this communion and, and, and go back to where our seats are and let's worship God. Some of you maybe need to kneel down and have a real heart-to-heart with God and, and say, God, here's my sin. Here's where I'm cheating on you. <clears throat> Others of you are like, man, I'm honoring God. I, I've, I've changed my mind. I, I've changed my, my behavior. Today, you just need to solidify your relationship with God and say, God, just hold me close to you. Never let me go. Keep me under the shadow of your wing. Maybe there's couples here that you've been going through a tough time, man. Take this time of communion and just pray with each other. Hold each other. Others of you, you guys are doing great. And I applaud you. And I look up to you. And you just need to hold each other. And say, no matter what happens, no matter what happens in America, in the world, in my neighborhood, in our family, we will always overcome this because we're together. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's not take this communion for granted. Let's not take this time of worship for granted. But let's, let's build a monument today for God in our life. The same way that in Pergamos they build all these monuments for all these false gods. Why don't we build a monument in our Christian walk with God today, March 8th, 2009? I solidified my relationship with God. I made a commitment with God that I will never waver and that I will no longer let anything get in the way, not even an hour of sleep get in the way of my relationship with God, my fellowship with God. You could come get the elements. We're going to sing.